0: Hello and welcome to Live from the Space Shed, a podcast all about space and science hosted by me, John Spooner, and me. (laughs) Sorry, yeah, I mean you. (laughs) Mini John. Long story short, a few years ago I accidentally set up my own space agency based out of the shed at the bottom of my garden. Turns out that if you go around telling people you're the director of human spaceflight operations for the Unlimited Space Agency wearing an orange spacesuit, more people than you might think want to play along. And now the British astronaut Tim Peake is our patron and he took me with him to space. <laughs> Right, he took you with him to space. So Mini John became Unsa's first astronaut. Woo-hoo! Since then, we've been touring in Unsa's mobile headquarters, the Space Shed, to festivals like Latitude and Blue Dot, telling stories, talking to some super cool space and science people, and we've recorded our chats so you can find out about their amazing work as well. Ah, you're practising for the protest, eh, (laughs) Mini-John? Mini-John and I are joining in with the global climate strike this week. (laughs) Throughout 2019, thousands, millions of young people across the world have been walking out of school and college every Friday, taking to the streets to demand an end to the age of fossil fuels, led by the amazing Greta Thunberg. And this September, they're asking adults to join them. Friday the 20th of September 2019, you can find out how to join in at globalclimatestrike.net. That's globalclimatestrike.net. Mini-John is quite fired up. (laughs) This week in Live from the Space Shed, I'm chatting with the wonderful Chaitanya Kumar, a senior policy advisor with Green Alliance. Basically, he tries to persuade governments to pass laws that will help us to stop the worst effects of climate change. Yeah, Chaitanya is cool, MJ. Yeah, let's go. Enjoy this week's episode of Live from the Space Shed with climate activist Chaitanya Kumar. <laughs> hey Hello, the great Road Exhibition Road Festival! My name is John John Spooner. I am the Director of Human Space Flight Operations here at the Unlimited Space Agency. Welcome to answer HQ the Space Shed. Give it up for the Space shed <laughs> <laughs> Who thought it was going to take off? <laughs> Just one of me, <laughs> okay, good. Not not so convinced, we need a bit more optimism in the world right now. Who thinks I can make this take off? Yeah, OK, we're getting it, we're getting it. Hey, listen, it's a beautiful day. Thank you so much for coming down, coming out and sharing uh, part of today with us. Uh, we've got a couple of things happening today. Later today, at 2.30, I'm going to be back opening the shed again, and I'm going to be telling a story about how to save the planet, if anyone's interested in that. And then later today, again, at 4 o'clock, we'll have Andrew Smith, the author, wrote my favourite book about the Apollo moon landings, Moondust. Going to be answering questions about space, Apollo, anything that you want to... Uh, know about there, but one of my favourite things about my job is I get to meet loads of really interesting people. Um, and this summer, we are on a big push, uh, trying to improve the conversation around climate change, climate breakdown, the climate crisis that we are all facing as a civilization. So I'm delighted to have joining me in the shed this afternoon, uh, someone who works at a senior level with Green Alliance. We'll find out more about what that is. Would you please give a massive, great Exhibition Road Festival welcome to Shatanya Kumar!
1: <laughs> I have I had that kind of reception before?
0: <laughs> Shatanya! <laughs> Good to meet you. Hi. Come in. Welcome yeah. to the Space Shed. Ah, oh, thank you. Bringing water, bringing gifts. <laughs> um, Shetanya, hi. Hello. Uh, you've cycled here today, haven't you? I have. Yeah, That's all the way habit. from... Uh, Bethnal Green. Bethnal Green. Not that far. You See, I know, right? On a day like today, that is a commitment, because you could have used any other form of transport,
1: right? It's true. It's too hot in the tube.
0: Shatanya, uh, <laughs> I've just described you as you are, your job title is you're a senior policy advisor with Green Alliance. Yes. Sounds fancy. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what you
1: do? Sure. So uh, Green Alliance is a small charity. It's a think tank. That's the fancy technical term. My job is basically to think about uh, UK's energy and climate policy. So how do we basically get this government, this country to go faster when it comes to addressing this huge problem of climate change? We're doing far better than a lot of other countries, but we can do so much more given the kind of impact we've had over centuries so that that's my job so we try to engage government policymakers civil servants ministers and and try and push for more ambitious policy on climate which is a great job right
0: (laughs) just want to quickly cover in case anyone is uncertain about it's a huge problem climate change why is it a huge problem right now (laughs)
1: We've we've known about this problem from uh, from a sort of scientific lens for about 35 odd years. I think the known uh, sort of moment, let's say, when, when most people think, start thinking about climate change is when James Hansen, who is a scientist with NASA, Uh, Your competitor. uh, (laughs) One of the other space agencies. Uh, One of the other space agencies. Basically uh, uh, went in front of a bunch of senators and congressmen in the US and spoke about climate change and the fact that he noticed that as and when we put more and more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, the temperature of of the surface of the earth was rising higher and higher. The case in point is what we're experiencing now. I haven't been in this country for long. It's about four years now. Uh, And we're already seeing heat waves, uh, which, from what I gather, from people I have spoken to who lived all their lives here, is quite unusual. Uh, If you've been to Italy or France or or sort of southern Europe uh, the last uh, week or so, We're seeing incredibly warm, incredibly hot temperatures. A friend of mine messaged saying it was 48 in parts of Italy. 48 is unheard of. I grew up in southern India, a city called Hyderabad. Temperatures of 48 are are what we're experiencing these days, and obviously that is incredibly hot. But some of us have the luxury of air conditioning that we can retreat into. Which what it does obviously is sucks the uh, uh, whatever coolness is there in the atmosphere and gives it to you and pumping out more hot air outside. So the unfortunate thing with air conditioning is it's adding to the problem of global warming, which is the worst thing you sort of you need right now. But going back to your question, yes, it, it is a, heat waves is one example. We're seeing flooding, we're seeing droughts, we're seeing. Uh, I don't want to depress and so many <laughs> lovely kids kids around. But uh, it is is, uh, a growing challenge and it is all pervasive. So it impacts humanity as a whole, not just people in Britain or people in India.
0: And I think, I know that what we are saying is, and because people come to a festival, it's a nice day out, and we, there isn't a conversation about it. My personal opinion is that we need a better, more public conversation around that, so it becomes less scary, so it's not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. And that then at least by talking about it, we can begin to address it and also feel better ourselves about that. That that slightly uncomfortable thing is better, for my money, than ignoring it. Absolutely. Because the consequences yeah. are quite extreme. Yeah. And like you were saying... Let's let's make a little upbeat kicker. Like you were saying, we're actually pretty good in the UK yeah. at addressing that issue. What have we already done in the UK as an example of good practice for that?
1: Sure. Um, so, like I said, I work on policy. So one of the things that we pushed for quite aggressively in the UK and something the government has done is put more solar and wind energy. It is renewable, i.e. we will never run out of sun or or wind. Definitely not in sort of millions of years. So tapping that energy and converting that energy into something that we can use instead of burning petrol or diesel or other forms of fossil fuels like coal is something that we've done quite effectively. I'll give you a simple example. In 2012 in the UK, about 40% of our electricity, everything that powers your light bulbs to, to your uh, washing machines, all of that, 40% of that electricity used to come from one of the dirtiest forms of energy, coal. But now, it's less than 5%. So within a period of six years, we've removed a very dirty form of fuel and inserted clean wind and solar. How many of us know about that? Not many, because it's happening out of sight and therefore it's out of mind in a lot of ways. It's happening in offshore, in the, off the coast of Norfolk, off the coast of Scotland, off the coast of Ireland, what have you. So it's happening out of sight and we're not seeing it but I- in a sense it's good that we are getting a lot of our electricity from cleaner sources yeah, do you, do
0: you mind it. me yeah so but, but we had jenny nelson in professor jenny nelson press of physics from imperial in the shed yesterday and she was she works at the leading edge of developing solar technology and yes. like you she says you know we don't run out of sun we've got loads of sun we should be using that makes all sorts of sense absolutely um yeah. but also that we need to change how we use energy. So that thing about you saying it happens out of sight and out of mind, yeah. but we're still using a huge amount of energy that we probably shouldn't yeah, because exactly.
1: yeah.
0: I'm going to move on if it's all right, sure. yeah. because there's a big question for me and I think for lots of people, what can the individual really do to help in this? And we have a, you have a, an interesting opinion on the role of the individual.
1: It's a very important question. I mean, I've been working in this sector for about 12 years now, not long compared to some of my colleagues that I I hang out with. But this is a question that's recurring. Like, what can an individual do as opposed to what the system, in some sense, or the government or corporations can do? And I started off with the idea of individuals having to sort of take the onus on themselves and trying to change whatever they can in their lives, i.e., use more, reduce their energy consumption, use better appliances, energy efficient appliances, which we do these days, wherever possible, take public transport or walk to work if possible. If if you're commuting from Oxford to London for work, obviously that's not possible. But that's where I was at about 10 years ago or so. And I've quite significantly shifted my view since then, largely because the problem is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, The shocking fact is in the 30 years, as I said earlier, of 30 years of the time that we've known this problem is when we have actually contributed the most to this problem by burning more uh, dirty energy, which is there's some dissonance, right, where, where we know about the problem, we knew about the problem for 30 years and it's exactly in that very period where we caused the most damage to the environment as well which makes me think it's it's less and less to do with individuals being able to sort of do more in collectively tackling this challenge, which I'm not saying this is zero, it's important but I think the problem has become so big that's why you need governments and corporations to actually do a lot more than they are at this point and that's one of the reasons why personally I've moved from a space uh, where I was advocating for that kind of change to working on policy with Green Alliance, where I think influencing governments, pushing them to put more ambitious policy in place is, is what is needed. So an example there is, I th- as soon as I walked into the park, what caught my eye was the hydrogen vehicle uh, that's being displayed there. Maybe some of you have seen it, but we are seeing a lot of electric vehicles in this country these days, and it is going to grow tremendously big. And that is happening because of policy. That is happening because governments are saying enough of these fuels that are polluting uh, our children's lungs with nitrogen oxides, with all sorts of harmful pollutants uh, in the environment, London being one of them how do we sort of get them off and the first f- source of that problem are cars and vans so moving away from that will not necessarily mean everybody just gets off and says you know what fine i'm just going to decide not to use a petrol and diesel car i'll start driving electric car can't happen overnight so you need policy to try to push corporations to manufacture more of these cleaner cars so you and i can have an option to actually move the our mode of transport and public transport as well so I'm increasingly uh, convinced that companies and corporations and, and, and governments have to do a lot more. So what does that mean for you and I, uh, and for the young people here, uh, is how do you put pressure on those in power to actually try and uh, make them take the right decisions? Uh, it sounds very political, it sounds very activisty, but that's where we are at, uh, I'm sorry to say, but that's that's what we need. So. The, you know, this is a democracy. You can reach out to your MP. You can reach out to your councillors. You can reach out to people who are administrating all of these things around you, and try and. Push them to talk more about climate change to understand the implications of climate change and, and really try and put in place solutions that can address that right at the local level in places like Kensington, Chelsea and other other parts of the town as well.
0: We spoke to a four-year-old girl this morning who had an idea saying she thinks that car adverts shouldn't be allowed, a bit like cigarette right adverts, out, yeah. you know, you should, they shouldn't be there as a lifestyle choice for fossil fuel burning cars. I thought, that's a good idea. Sounds sensible. 14... No, this was another four-year-old girl, t- tiny little girl. That's what was really struck me. Uh, she was also saying that there should be um, signs at petrol stations about how harmful, if you fill up your car with this, you, you are putting nitrogen oxide in your... like cigarettes. I was like, it's a really good idea. But how do we make that happen, <laughs> really? Because you were just saying about contacting your MP. It's, like, really weirdly, I did, when I was out on my astronaut delivery vehicle yesterday on Exhibition Road, run into... Emma, who is the MP for uh, Kensington and Chelsea on the street, yes, that she wanted a selfie. Now, not everybody <laughs> is going to be wearing an orange spacesuit and attracting their local MP to them <laughs> whilst out on their astronaut delivery vehicle. Does anyone know about the website? They work for you. Theyworkforyou.com. But you see what they've done there, right? They work for you. They do. <laughs> they literally work for you. And even though some of you don't have a vote, which is, and I do think you should. <laughs> have the vote because it's your future, after all. But you can still write to them and find out really easily who they are. they work for you. right? And that's yeah. that's one way to do it. Write to your MPs. That's
1: one way of doing it. We organised a what is called a mass lobby uh, last Wednesday. About twelve thousand people, people like yourself from different all the constituencies in uh, the UK, came down to Parliament and lobbied their MP. Talking about climate change, you know, we've seen climate change become mainstream in some sense in the public conversation, thanks to Extinction Rebellion and school strikes, um, and and that needs to continue. And what's striking with what you've just said, a four-year-old saying that, mm. uh, and it it both inspires me and also saddens me in some sense that they have to think of of, of that. That that's what it's come to. Why can't we <laughs> actually think of those policies, think of those ideas? Because we don't seem to get how how grave the situation is Um, and they they will live through that as much as I hate thinking about it but uh, that's that's the kind of world we're setting themselves setting up for them uh, which shouldn't be the case so the sooner the adults sort of get up get their act together (laughs) the
0: better. So in amongst all the doom and the gloom which you know there is a scenario which is really doomy and gloomy there that's just how that's just the reality if we don't act now and do something there is still time to really make positive change. There's been a recent announcement from our government that they're going to aim for, correct me if I'm wrong, for a net zero carbon uh, society by 2050. So there is a huge challenge in doing that. But what is the positive
1: vision if we can do that? Absolutely. So UK has has legislated for a bold target, uh, which is by 2050, there will not be any surplus emissions carbon dioxide that is in this case or methane for example which is another global warming causing pollutant there won't be a net positive emission of these gases by 2050 right and that is a significant shift right now we emit about 500 million tons of it uh, in this country from 500 we're going to jump to zero uh, in about 31 years time that is quite a shift. Um, and the, it's important to sort of not think about it as, oh, my God, that's daunting, that's impossible, how do we do it? What might it mean for you and me living in this country? But the idea is sort of, in some sense, give it a positive spin. You will be living in a much healthier environment than you are today. You will be living in an environment where there's much less carbon pollution, much less nitrogen pollution, much less particulate matters in the atmosphere because there won't be any fossil fuel cars running around. As in, there won't be anything coming out of exhausts or vehicles anymore. There might be electric vehicles, there might be buses, there'll be more public transport, running on electricity, things like that. You will be in a a situation where you'll have a lot more forests uh, in this country than we have. I enjoy the countryside in this country, but you will see a lot more of forests come up. Why? Because you need them to actually suck the carbon from the atmosphere and uh, store it in, in, in them. So you will see a lot of that coming. This is all assuming that we we achieve that and God hopes we, we do achieve that. But if you do, there's, there's a massive price uh, at the end of it and through, through the process. So forests is, is another one, cleaner water, cleaner rivers. You will see a lot more biodiversity come back, right? not many of our kids here sort of, you know, get to look at badgers or all sorts of other animals out there because you have to sort of go to the countryside to try and see, but if you enhance the forest landscape in this uh, country, you are introducing or allowing nature to sort of take control, uh, allowing nature to sort of introduce uh, uh, species and and give them uh, a nurturing space, and we will see a lot of that for all of us to enjoy. So there's a fantastic prize at the end of it. There's a fantastic opportunity for us kids to grow into into, into, into that world, uh, which isn't as depressing as, as how we started this conversation about the, the harmful effects of climate change. So that's the goal. I think we can work towards that. But you need to push governments and corporations. And it is that. achievable, right? It is.
0: It is. We talk, we've been talking this weekend a lot about uh, It's the 50th anniversary of the moon landings this year, which at the time, when Kennedy announced that idea literally no one else in the world believed that it was possible but because of the investment and bringing everyone together to focus on it the clarity of the focus on that they did it something and they did it in seven five years they did it within five years something that when they started thought was impossible because i think there's a lot of talk about this isn't possible to achieve it's hopeless it's not but it does require all of us i think to get involved and to really be making this
1: conversation the first the most important conversation going going back to individual action again like one stat that sort of boggles my mind is we waste or throw away about seven and a half million tons of food waste in this country uh, and about 60 percent of that doesn't have to be thrown away it's just like an apple that's bendy or like something that doesn't look right we just sort of now yeah, chuck it away not because you and i don't want to eat that but because there's a perception that you and i would not want to eat that there's a perception that supermarkets and others have assumed that the consumer doesn't like that will not buy it uh, and therefore we're not going to provide that so when a massive supply bulk supply comes from chile or argentina or kenya uh, in terms of vegetables and fruits you look at them and you go sort of no that doesn't work that doesn't work there's a little spot on this doesn't work, doesn't work. so we're throwing incredible amounts of food waste that's one thing that we could do like try and Not toward me football (laughs) stuff.
0: One of my um, favourite things I saw in Morrison's a little while back, they had they were cheaper. They were wind blown apples. They were apples that had just fallen out of the tree of their own accord, naturally. But because they were a bit odd looking, they were cheaper. But I love that they're wind blown. You know, (laughs) these aren't ordinary apples. Chaitanya is here. We have uh, an opportunity now for you. I was going to say, in terms... It isn't hopeless. There's lots of things we can do. We have made a little website for you, if you wanted to do things it's got really easy things you can do right now, right today, things you could do in a month, things you could do in a year, things you could do if you wanted to dedicate your life to fighting climate breakdown, it's got lots of ideas, starter ideas, including some that Shatanya has contributed to that, so we've had all of our experts come in and contribute to that, so there's really meaningful things but this is your opportunity, if you have any questions for someone who works at the most senior level of policy on climate that has all of answers to many of the questions that you might have, now is your opportunity See. Gentleman at the front here. I was wondering about the feasibility of capturing carbon even more effectively per square metre than planting
1: trees. I'd be quite interested to buy some agricultural land and commit it to that use if it, if it were feasible and if it were incentivised in the right way. Yeah. Um, so, I think this is where I'll bring the B word, Brexit. Um, what we do these days under the EU is we incentivize a lot of farmers across the UK uh, just to farm. Um, and it can have some negative implications in terms of um, greenhouse gases and agriculture is roughly 10% of our carbon emissions or global warming potential in the UK. The incentives that we're talking about is once, if we're out, once we're out, whatever it is, if we can change those policies, what we can do is the £3 billion that we actually allocate to farmers could be repurposed and incentivized to actually do something else, what is called environmental land management. I don't want to get into the geekiness of it, but the idea is, how do you use agricultural land for purposes of sucking the carbon out of the atmosphere and, and putting it in the ground? for a long time to come it is doable it's good but right now it's not incentivized and under the current system it's very difficult unless you have some major countries in the eu reforming the system which there is no incentive right now Uh, but once the once we are out then the current minister at least who won't be there for long but the current minister at least michael gove has indicated that he's very interested in doing exactly that incentivizing these farmers to actually If the incentives were there, is the science there that you could economically get stuff to the farmers that could do that? not conclusive. It's, it's uh, Technically, it's possible, but we haven't done it at that scale to show that, it, that it's feasible or not. But that's a good question. I've
0: And there's something about an attitude shift as well. It's not just whether or not it's feasible. It's worth trying. And just the shift in going, it's not always about making an economic case for it, I guess. Otherwise, what happens if we don't? Well, we'll probably all burn to death. <laughs> that makes the case for it, for me. Yeah. We had a six-year-old uh, boy in the audience yesterday who was talking about one of the things he's uh-huh. doing was... He he set up a business with his school last week where he's making and then selling seed bombs. Right, so yeah. just that idea of rewilding your own environment, your gardens as well. And I liked that that was just a thing that was happening.
1: Yeah, yeah. and as you can see, there are no cars around. There's no fear of something hitting you. This is running around. Ideally, that's me. how cities ought to be. <laughs> Apart from but that's how cities ought to be. Like, you know, it's something fantastic happens when you just take the cars out of the equation. And just let people occupy a space. And mm. all sorts of creativity comes into that space and they make it their own. But once you remove that and cars dominate the space and, and something else dominates the space, then, you, yeah, you're siloing people and putting them saying, this is your space. This little mm. enclave of, of park, I call it. And that's it. That's, that's where you can have close to nature. as you can. But we'd like to see it everywhere. Everywhere.
0: everywhere. I agree. It'd be lovely. Hi
1: hi uh simple question how do you see us heating our homes in the future we're very dependent on gas boilers after a gas boiler yeah is it going to be manageable obviously we have to do it to go carbon free or yeah. um, net carbon free about 26 million homes have boilers w- within them and so it's a massive challenge i have a boiler at home as well the three things that most people talk about one is electrification let's so say take your boiler out put is what, what is called a heat pump, just like an air conditioning, uh, air conditioner, sorry. Um, this That's the opposite of it, like heats your house. Um, but these days, given this, you might need a bit of both. But heat pumps are one of them. Why do I say heat pumps? So uh, if you remove gas and put an electric machine in there, you're obviously just shifting gas demand and putting electricity instead. So you're still consuming electricity. But if you can clean up where the electricity is coming from, then it's a net positive in that sense so that's one the second is this is quite bold and very te- technology intensive which is uh, changing the gas supply and replacing that with hydrogen hydrogen is cleaner it definitely has much less carbon emissions associated with that but that takes a whole set of infrastructure to be created for that which is huge task with billions of pounds to be invested the government's already thinking about it we're already trialing some of that up north in leeds uh, and a couple of other places we're blending gas and hydrogen uh, in some places just to see how it works we're doing all sorts of things but hydrogen other and what is called district heating Um, the idea is that you have a mass boiler in one place instead of having different Uh, individual boilers across the homes you have mass boiler communal boilers for an entire district in some sense and you sort of uh, you make sure that that boiler is clean cleaned up and coming from a clean source on top of all of these solutions there's one thing that definitely needs to happen is energy efficiency yeah you just have to make sure that all these buildings around are not leaky the UK is called the cold man of Europe because we've got one of the leakiest leaky I mean like heat leaks from the house when you turn the radiator on most of it is lost through leaks in the house So, what's the point of that? you're just sort of using more and more so the draftiest leakiest homes in the country so that has to be fixed so if you reduce the amount of energy you need then you reduce the amount of gas you consume and it's easy to sort of convert that gas to a cleaner form after that so
0: good answer a couple of things if it's all right to add as well like really direct things that you can do very quick insulate your home i mean that is it's a a no-brainer for everyone you can change your electric your energy provider right now really easily we we're going around just recommending everyone do ecotricity because they have 100 percent renewable sources for their electricity it's frack-free gas they're looking at the alternatives to gas we've also had people suggesting really realistically um, and again it's on the website howtosavethe.earth community wind and solar farms so i'm genuinely looking at how on my road i get together with my neighbours to look at how could we really efficiently share the energy production in our roads so that we could then go off grid and these things are already happening they're happening in schools they're happening in community projects they're funded by lots of places so there are really meaningful things that you can actively do yourself as well yeah there's one more thing
1: how many of you have solar panels on their rooftops one <laughs> cool. so another thing what people are trying these days is a combination of insulation plus heat pump plus solar panel on the rooftop. And the idea is, as a combination, you're basically reducing demand, putting a heat pump, and the electricity for the heat pump comes from the solar panel. So technically, you reduce the dependence on the grid from the outside so much that you potentially can be self-sufficient on a day like this because you're not heating your house because it's too hot, right? And whatever appliances are there are being run by solar panels. You don't have to depend on the system to give you... we, if we start moving towards that more and more people can actually feel like you know what i'm not having to depend on the system i can produce my own electricity and, and
0: by so. more of us doing it as well it shows the system that the demand for the other yeah. thing isn't there anymore so they will look to invest thank you very much Chaitanya. that was a good one uh, anyone else got a question for shaitanya <laughs> gentleman in the middle all the all the adults today is it true if we don't fix the system or the problem?
1: We hit a temperature when the planet goes into thermal runaway. Is that true? Yeah. Sorry. Where the tipping point is isn't clear. It's not a set mark marker on the ground. But the, the range is anywhere between 450 and 500 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere or greenhouse gases. We are right now at 414, 415. So once you start hitting 450 and beyond then it's, you're in sort of big trouble. We are adding about three parts per million every year. So from four fifteen to four thirty is what
0: dangerously claims. Dangerous dangerous. Particularly with this weekend, the G twenty summit ending, the Paris Agreement, which no one's formally or legally committed to, but all of the nineteen of the G G20- twenty <laughs> Countries agreed to stick to those guidelines for the Paris Agreement, apart from one, which was, of course, President Trump. If you have any American friends, in order to literally save the planet, they have to vote for anyone else uh, at the next uh, American election. Who's got an American friend? Who's American? (laughs) Hi. Please, you know, for all of us. (laughs) That's the active part there. Let's let's not allow that to happen for another four years. We're really... Yeah. Time for one more? Why, why was that the first time
1: I heard that?
0: that, that was really oh, on, a, this is a really good question, wasn't it?
1: Just, what you just said was really, really powerful about giving us a number. of, And we've talked about one and a half degrees, we have to avoid that. But actually, talking about it in parts of the you know, carbon dioxide concentration was really, really powerful. We were kind of, wow. And yeah. it's going up, it's tricking up, and if you can see that...
0: And your question was, why haven't I heard why that before? That the
1: first time? It's a
0: really good question. that
1: was the best thing I I've heard in terms of convincing people. It's funny. I, I used to work with an organization for about five years called 350.org. That's the name of the organization. 350 is the parts per million concentration that is safe and sustainable. Most of my ex-colleagues who were there got themselves tattooed with the number... I love that. ...parts per million of carbon dioxide at the time of their birth. Um, So I have a friend who is 387, another one who is like 360, something like that. So it's it's just an indication of how quickly things have changed. Uh, 387 wasn't that, when I uh, was born, it was 387, and now 380, I think, and now it's about 414. So it's growing rapidly, and I think between 450 and 500 is what most people think will be a runaway climate
0: change. I would say, in answer to your question, that it's because it's not, it's not a conversation that we're having. It's why it's surprising to be, It's why it's uncomfortable for people to have that conversation. There was a recent audit at BAFTA. They, through their audit, discovered that climate change is featured less often in uh, dramas, ongoing serials and dramas, than rhubarb, and 20 times less than the B word. And that is why it's the first time you're hearing about it. It's because in EastEnders, it's mad to me that it wouldn't be part of that conversation or, you know, in the pubs, in those uh, soap operas, that someone isn't going, Do you hear about that thing that uh, maybe the world is going to burn in about 30 years if we don't do something about it? That's never a conversation you hear on any of those programmes. And I would say that's a big part. And yeah.
1: Just one final thing is, I remember. Listen to the Today program on Radio 4 during the Extinction Rebellion protests that were happening, and some of the people who were participating in them uh, talking to the, the radio presenter. And one thing that really struck me is, is for a lot of these people, now it's become emotional, now it's become personal in a lot of ways. It's not about some hypothetical climate change happening abstractly. It's about them, like, that individual who was talking on the radio was like, I've got a four-year-old daughter, like, I worry about their future. So it's become very emotional, very personal. And I think a lot of us are feeling that and thinking that and thinking about and responding to that, and responding to a very sort of gut, emotional level. I'm keen on taking that and translating into policy that will really drive ambition uh, because we need to we need to push harder than we are at this moment and hopefully our collective uh, um, sort of emotional push can also translate into policy ambition.
0: I think that's a very excellent beautiful place to end that it's difficult but there is real hope. Shaitan yeah. uh, how can anyone stay in touch with you are you on the social medias I am on social medias my
1: name's on the whiteboard there and uh, with no space at at Chaitanya Kumar uh, on Twitter is, is where you can find me. Um, you can follow Chaitanya
0: there. Is there I any can way to get a bit involved geeky
1: with? and wonky on the <laughs> policy details, but yeah, feel free to message me. Yeah.
0: Um, we're on all the social medias at UN Theatre, at UN Theatre do go and have a look at the how to save the dot earth website if you want some ideas on things that you can do like i say get involved action as well as hope it sounds bleak it is a bit scary that's okay good to talk about it and let's all together do stuff to secure ourselves a decent future shatanya kuma everybody thank, thank you, you. Pretty scary, but also hopeful stuff there from Jitanya. I love the idea that if we make these changes, then our future could be an even better place than it is now. It's not all doom and gloom. And if any of you, like us, really want to get involved in helping to save the planet but don't really know what to do, check out the website we've made that includes suggestions from people like Jitanya. How to save the dot earth. How to save the dot earth. It's got loads of suggestions for things you can do right now, things you can do with a little more effort this week or this year. It's even got tips for you if you want to dedicate your life to fighting climate breakdown. How and to save, save the, the dot, dot earth. earth. <laughs> You're yeah, alright, MJ. Just let me finish up here, then we'll go and make a placard for the march. As always, you can connect with us on any of the social medias. We're at UnTheatre, that's U-N-Theatre on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please help us spread the word. Tell everyone you know to subscribe to... Live from the Space Shed is an unlimited theatre production with Season 1 brought to you in association with the Science and Technologies Facilities Council, the Cockcroft Institute, the Space and Arts Council, England, with special thanks to Dr. Rob Appleby of Manchester University. Our theme music is Go, by Public Service Broadcasting News, with their extremely kind permission. Our sound engineer and editor is Andy Wood, with additional sound design by Elena Payne. The show's produced by John Spooner and Alice Massey, with support from our friends at Things. Live from the Space Shed is an unlimited theatre production on behalf of the Unlimited Space Agency. don't forget to join in with the global climate strike at globalclimatestrike.net you can see what they've done there and we'll see you for more (laughs)
1: live
0: from the space shed soon